This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's a miracle it's got off the ground in the first place. Scott Owen. Adam, that's Park de Paris. Put some respect on the home of Queensland football. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. It's another week here on the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. It's James Scott and Adam with you on this Wednesday evening as we prepare to recap another eventful uh, round of action for the Brisbane Raw in the A-League men's and women's. And we are also preparing for the return of local football for the first time. Well, it'll be a full weekend of football for the first time since late October. Scott, how are you? I'm good, James. How are you? I'm not too bad. Still getting used to the sleep deprivation, if I'm being totally honest. Adam, how about you? Yeah, yeah good. It's, uh, I said uh, it's good to see that you know, football's ramping up again and uh, pray there's no rain, no interruptions. Yes. We've had the rain interruption. That's over with. We've had, we've had I think, most of the year's worth of rain here in southeast Queensland. But it looks like the grounds are drying out and the uh, club recovery efforts are in full swing. So... This weekend, there will be NPL Men's Queensland and FQPL action coming your way as we prepare to uh, get right back into it over the next six or so months here on the Brisbane Football Review. We're pleased to be coming to you on Clutch Radio, the home of NPL TV, uh, which is, uh, well, also the home of just about every other NPL competition in Australia as well. And while we're at it as well, we'll get the usual contact plugs out of the way. Email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Facebook, The Raw Review. Twitter, at BNE Football. And we are also on Instagram, where we're expanding our live coverage of our matches uh, around the grounds. The Raw home and away matches for men's and women's, plus select uh, state-level fixtures as well. You guys are making your plans on where you will be this weekend. Uh, getting out and uh, sampling the canteens, Adam? Uh, yeah, we uh, looks like uh, we'll be at, uh, at the Gold Line on Saturday and then Underwood, Underwood Park for Sunday for for Raw and uh, and uh, Logan. So, big big opening weekend, or well, reopening weekend, uh, and we'll uh, see how we go, go as far as the canteen. Yes, and uh, so the reopening weekend will be round four of the season as we try and get ourselves back onto a regular cycle of matches. And, uh, Scott, before we go to you for another thought, we will quickly do the uh, podcast plugs as well. If you are listening to us on Clutch Radio, uh, we are on uh, A-League Live app, Wooshka, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and several other good podcast outlets as well. And, Scott, which canteen are you looking forward to seeing? Well, I was just going to say, Adam calling the gold line a canteen, that's not going to go over well, Adam. They have a much um, different dining style of approach just to their dining than, than a canteen. They do have... Oh, mind, mind you. They do have one downstairs, though. Are you gonna yes. go, maybe you're going to go downstairs. It might be, yeah. That might be part of the rules. Go go downstairs. Yeah, but that would mean you've got to slum it with the masses, in your words, Adam. And that's yeah, why I'm not doing the canteen-related stuff. <laughs> you might have to redo the criteria. <laughs> yes, something like that as well. But either way... I think overall, the three of us are in a pretty good mood, all things considered, because with our primary focus of the Brisbane Raw, we have a fairly entertaining uh, weekend of results. We'll start off at Morton Daly Stadium on Saturday afternoon as the Raw defeated Wellington Phoenix, thanks to goals from Ramadak Bari and Henry Hoare, with the latter cancelling out Josh Sotirio's equaliser in front of just under 6,000 at Morton Daly Stadium, and... 
Well, we've spoken quite a lot about the raw struggles on the road, Scott, but it certainly seems like Morton Daly is turning into a real fortress for them this season. It is. Well, the, tr- the road troubles have continued all year long. The home form has been exemplary for the Raw and have continued on Saturday afternoon. Also, for the third time this year, they've scored inside the first 10 minutes as well, James. So they're starting games really quickly up there at Morton Daly Stadium. And it was a good goal from Ramadek Bari to get the game started. But again, Wellington went their way back into it, didn't it? And when they did get their equaliser, it was probably deserved at that point. It's fair to say. No, I, and look, I, yeah, I completely was, agree. They certainly were worthy of the equaliser. For Brisbane to go on and win the game, I thought it was absolutely fantastic because they needed the points. But you're right, their home form is, has been what's underpinning this season so far. And it's going to have to continue another on the road this weekend. But the home form so far has been great. And on that as well, like the, the fast starts, I have to admit, you know, we got to about the fifth or sixth minute uh, watching the game, Adam. And I, I was starting to get a little bit impatient because normally they score much sooner than the seventh minute. Yeah, um, it's like I said, it's uh, certainly a novelty been you know, an early goal at Morton Day Stadium. But um, look, I'll look, I'll look on the other side of the coin as well. That it, it seems as though for, I don't know what what the issue is. I know we we do uh, sort of you know as far as the raw goes, we still say that their their away form is absolutely horrendous. But if you listen to each of the coaches in the last four weeks, the away coaches. They've said the exact same thing that the first half of their of their um, side's effort it has been not been good enough, and uh, it's just a real, really weird phenomenon at the moment where the raw just seems to just at Morton Daly Stadium just jump out and you know really sort of you know um, sort of you know, take the game by the horns. Even the even the one game they lost the season against Adelaide, I, I do remember from that from that press conference that even Carl Beard said their first half for Adelaide was not a very, very good performance. It was their second half that was that was better. And it seems to be where um, a lot of the sides, a lot of the weight teams at Morton Daly Stadium against the Royal are making inroads is in the second half. And Scott, from your vantage point, peering over the fence of um, the media balcony uh, in the Western stand, there's something about the way that they're jumping out of the blocks as well. And it was a changed lineup that did just that too. Luscano, Olsen, Truen and Wada came in for Brown, Hoare, Ivanovic and Milnaric. So it's not like it's, you know, necessarily a specific group of personnel that's getting them out to these fast starts either. No, I don't peer over the fence either, by the way. James, just to make that clear... Because you believe in science. Something along those lines we'll go with. But I will say, it's... Well, you know, it's different players, you're right, because it was the early... The, the previous early goals were for Mille Ulsnitz and... Nice little interplay with him getting in behind using his pace. As Adam says, he does run really, really fast. And that was the way they did it in those occasions. But this was... It just seems like they're always on the front foot for, at the start of games, doesn't it? They go go into games with that mentality. We've got to get on the front foot and assert ourselves from the start. And, that's, and it does has paid dividends for them quite a lot. To this point, the first half has, has been their stronger half in pretty much every game they've played at home this season. So I think there's... I think there's definitely something in it, James, in terms of the fact that they must... I don't know if it's an instruction or it's just a mental thing that they have where they come out of the blocks really strong in front of the home crowd. And it's a it's a great weapon to have, isn't it? Well, and you saw this as well, Adam, because you were allowed into the stadium. It's just the way the Raw built their structure there, they were able to really flick the switch at certain points in time and really deliver that double jab, you know, getting one in the seventh minute and then three minutes after the Knicks had equalised and really, you know, just gave them that shot in the arm as they tried to uh, work their way to another three points at home. 
Yeah, um, it's a very interesting uh, <laughs> way to put it. Uh, but um, I'm a yeah, look, I, I just think it's something. There's something to do with. Um, yeah, the, I don't. I don't like I said. As I said before, I don't know whether it's the raw seem to come out and surprise their opponents, or their opponents, you know, on the on the road seem not to know what to expect because it seems to be more than just a pattern. Like so, every every game this season, the raw have come out strong. And and really sort of you know turn the screws and it it's, it's been pretty much on the on the away team to try and get back into it so um yeah it's got like I said it's got to be an instruction it's certainly something that I know the Raw seem to be working very hard they just come out really hard in the first half and they they sort of um you know in most regards they've actually you know been rewarded very early. Which, which then gives them the impetus to really to go on with it. But uh, as far as the, the game on Saturday goes, um, yeah, not not a bad uh, debut or start for uh, Rio Wada. And also, yeah, Wada gave them a really strong injection of livelihood in attack as well, Scott. Like, that cross that he put on for Akbari was, you know, inch perfect. I see that pun book has arrived nice, nicely there for you there, James. But are you right here? It doesn't work if you, kill the, if you kill the joke, Scott. I'm trying to be subtle about it. You're as subtle as a sledgehammer, let me tell you that. But I will say that he did make a massive impact, didn't he, when he came in. This was his first start, obviously. And he did look lively for about an hour when he was on the field. So I think there's certainly something there. I was intrigued with where they played him. It seemed like he was playing off the right-hand side, didn't it? Because that, that, that's where he was, certainly was where the goal came from. But I thought his impact was quite good. And again, for a player who hasn't had a lot of football, James, just got to the country, had some, had some issues in terms of getting himself up to speed and all the rest of it. For a first-up performance, it did look quite lively, and there's a lot of promise there. It might take a little bit longer to get him a full 90 minutes and producing at that level for 90 minutes, but it, as a first-up evidence, it looks like he can add something to the front third, which which in the past we've spoken about was lacking for the role. That, that Denzaki role from last year, where that bit of creativity in that front third was probably lacking, and on first evidence, it looks like he might be the man to provide it. Yeah, and like all jokes aside, it is... You know, good to have that sort of lively wild card up front, where he he can provide that l- little bit of unpredictability. Where I think we kind of know what a lot of the attackers do well and whatnot, but he's got that unknown factor coming from uh, outside. You know, Lascano, he's big, he's strong. Like when he makes the right runs, like we can see how valuable that is. Uh, you know. Uh, Millie Isinch is quick, Ivanovic is a little bit of a hybrid between those two. But the one thing that I'm actually just thinking about and having come to mind now, is it possible that like, we know players read the stuff on social media, not just about their own club, about others. And do you think it's possible that maybe the the opponents, especially when they come to Morton Daly, maybe they're expecting the Raw to be a bit more reflective of their overall record rather than what they're actually producing on the pitch. Now, I'm not going to go and say, you know, the Aurora, you know, at the same level as Western United, Melbourne City and whatnot, but when they were sitting dead last on the ladder, we were all saying they were a better side than the worst team in the A-League men's competition. And I do kind of wonder if maybe the players have bought into that, well, for lack of a better phrase, Twitter pylon, where they go and say, oh, everyone sucks, you know, fold the club, all that... Is it possible, Adam, that maybe they're just a little bit better and more competitive than some of these opponents are maybe expecting them to be? 
I, I just think this is endemic of the A-League at the moment. I, I just don't think this is an easy game. Uh, in the past, you can really point and say, oh, that game is going to be you know, almost instant three points. You look at the moment, the table as it is right now, um, after after the draw last night between Perth and Central Coast Mariners, uh, look, Perth are last, but again, you know that they've got you know, another eight home games or something, so you know that that's, that's never going to be easy. Raw, Raw are going to test that theory on the weekend. They're going to put their absolutely atrocious you know, away record in a place where you know, it's going to be very, very difficult to win. But um, yeah, I just think at the moment, there are no easy games in the A-League men. I think, I think it's fantastic. It, it is useful. Scott, what about you? I tend to agree. I don't think it's an easy game in the competition either. And again, we did say it. I, think, I, do, I do think when we said it a couple of weeks ago when the Raw position at the bottom of the table, we didn't. We said it wasn't reflective of the talent they have. It was true then, and it's true now. I think they're very much a team capable of contending for a spot in the top six. Now, again, I think there's actually the standard. On, on field, it's, look, there's a lot of problems off the field with the A-League, which I don't think we really want to get into again this week, James. But on the field... That's not one of them. The product on the field is is very, very competitive across the board. Adam's right. Any In pretty much any given game you watch, there's a, there's a chance of any particular result happening. I think it's a really even competition. And I'll talk about the game at the weekend later on, the game coming up, but I think it's a tough trip. Yeah. So It's a very even competition, isn't it? There's not much between... But maybe there's a separation between the teams at the top, the two Melbourne clubs. But after that, I think you can almost throw a hat over pretty much all of them. Yeah. You remember in seasons gone by, you could always pinpoint that one or two games. You say, oh, they're playing Central Coast. That should be an instant three points. And that, that's not just the Raw. That's everyone. Um, like I said, Melbourne Victory last year were a bit of a, you know, a lame duck team as well. But this year, maybe, oh, look, I'd even argue that, you know, Wanderers at the moment, uh, even up, they it? were showing signs of, oh, they, they're going to be, they're going to be, you know, the bottom of the pole. But even they're capable at the moment. So I think this season, I think across the 12 teams, you're right. At the, at the top, I think you're right. I think Western United, I think you know, Melbourne City at the moment are the standard bearers there. Melbourne victory as well, you know, to a point. But um, yeah, the rest of them, look, you don't show up. You're going you're gonna to go home with nothing, either at home or away. And, that, and that's the best part of it so far is the fact that any team feels like they've got a chance against just about anyone in the competition. I mean, even... Melbourne City and Western United, they've both lost three games. Um, they've both dropped more points than... Well, especially Melbourne City. They've dropped way more points than I think anyone expected them to. It's 18 games played and only nine wins for them. Six draws, three defeats. And they've actually got, just looking at it, the equal second-worst defensive record in the competition with 26 goals allowed. So every team is flawed, but every team is also capable of putting together a really good performance on their day, Scott. And particularly when you look at the fixture scheduling we've had, James, with so many midweek games, teams playing midweek, three games in a week and all the rest of it, it certainly levels out the playing field even further once again. If you've got three games in a week and you played a, if you're playing a third game in a week and then against the third game is a team you haven't played in 10 days or something, it makes it very, very difficult. So again, it's the scheduling also evens out the... the um, if there is a difference between the teams, the scheduling evens it out. So it, it makes it... Very, very difficult to judge. Because just back to the Wellington game at the weekend, that was their third game in eight days or something. I think there were seven games unbeaten going into the game against Brisbane. So they've had a really good run, but they had played three games in a week and they were missing a couple of key players. Got an injury during the, in the game to Alex River, who I think is out for the season now. So they were a bit shorthanded across the board. Couple that with three games in a week. 
it makes it very difficult, doesn't it? So if, even if they did come into the game thinking, oh, we're playing against a team at or near the bottom of the table, it, it should be a good opportunity for us. The circumstances of the league, James, dictate the fact that you can't think like that. Every game is close, and it's a chance of any result, not just because the teams are relatively even, but the scheduling evens it up even further again. And on that as well, talking about the quick turnaround between games, you look at the you look at the teams, and they've all got very different strengths and weaknesses and playing styles as well. So it's not like you can spend a full week game planning for, say, you know, a Western United who are a defense first team, and you know they've got their way of playing. And then you might have to back it up on three days where you play Newcastle, who, you know, for better or worse, are just going to say, "Yep, we're going to go score." And it is, it does make that uh, real, it does make it really good and unpredictable where you've got these different styles of play as well. So you can see how they sort of collide with one another. And yeah, going back to the uh, Raw game on the weekend, I thought you saw Wellington, they were a little bit heavy legged as well, but the Raw, like, they've got those quick little passing uh, moves that they want to try and get. And when they connect, they are really good to watch. They, they are. And they, they really do. Um, like I said, it's it's a style of play that, you know, wh- when it comes off, it, it is very good to watch. I think if you listen to some of the fans in the, in the stand, you know, they're not, they're not great fans of the raw passing backwards and, you know, and, and sort of side to side a lot, uh, which, you know, well, again, that's... As- to be, well, to be fair, those were the same people that were screaming shoot at Matt Mackay in the 2010-2011 final series. And like I said, maybe, maybe right. It was coming out of the foundation members section, so they've seen they've seen a lot of football over the years. But um, yeah, look, but I think at Raw they do play a very they can play a very pretty style of football when they want to. Um, so that, that always that sort of always helps. That they're interchanging. I think it all comes down to you know their passing, and I think like Jay Shea, as we've said, you know seems to be the centre of it all at the moment. Yeah, you know, I think he's he's I think he's in the best stretch of form he has in his time here at Brisbane. I think at, at the moment, I tend to agree with that absolutely. But the midfield generally, I thought was really impressive at the weekend. The combination of of Jay Shea, who you mentioned Adam, along with Jesse Daly, who worked really really hard in midfield. And Ramanek Barrow, who had a really good game, scored a goal before he came off. I, I wonder if he maybe pick up a knock in that challenge from Alex Rufer, if he, that did have some carryover impact for him. But th- those three guys in that midfield, James, I thought were absolutely outstanding, were a big reason why Brisbane were able to control a lot of the game. And that was probably why they were able to get the foothold early on. I thought those three were superb. And what and what stood out to me as well, because, well, I, I was watching it at home with the baby... Uh, he, he quite enjoyed the uh, game for what it was worth. I think he only cried two or three times, and that was mostly because, well, he was hungry. Anyway, um, the energy that you see them play with as well. Like, you look at some of the guys like Nick Olsen and, as we mentioned before, Rio Wada. That midfield and just has so much zip to it when they're on their game. And that, that to me, like was even evident through the TV screen. But we do want to talk about uh, the impact of Henry Hoare. But before we do that, I want to make sure that I actually include uh, the uh, post-match press conferences. So let's uh, take a quick break and get Warren Moon's thoughts on the contest. Yeah, I have to say, you know, we need the win. So it's, you know, it's really important for us. But the performance for me wasn't, wasn't quite where it needed to be. I felt um, we could be better. Uh, but I think we've been good at times and lost games this year, so I'm not going to complain. First half, we're wide ahead. Do you think he went in terms of his minutes? Is he getting close to a full 90 minutes? And what do you think of his first half appearance? 
Uh, we've seen his quality in training for a couple of weeks. He's not match fit. Uh, you know, he probably wasn't match fit to start the game. But we, uh, uh, where we're at right now, we we threw him into the deep end to try and get him fit as quickly as possible. So uh, I thought he was reasonably good. You know, we've seen him in training this week. He's been really impressive. Um, I think there'll be better days ahead for him and our team. And that was Warren Moon after the game. And uh, Adam, you were in there with him. He was pretty happy, yeah? Ah, uh, yeah. He's always he always seems happier at home than he is now on the Zoom call. So uh, for the away games, put it that way. Any anyone who but but he does but he does um an interesting point that uh, came out. I'm not sure if it was on the clip or not, but he it did in a question I asked uh, asked him. He does not doesn't seem to sort of um see a difference between the home form and away form, which I thought was quite a curious response. There you go. Um, yeah, Scott. We'll talk about the uh, impact of. Henry Hoare as well, when he uh, you know, really proved to be that uh, impact sub off the bench with his efforts for what turned out to be the game-winning goal. And not for the first time this year off the bench for Henry Hoare, it's just scores a goal against Perth off the bench. But he's had a massive impact, hasn't he, in terms of... As a, as a player stepping up from the NPL, you don't expect a great deal from them in their first year to kind of get themselves acclimated to the league and understand the level, but he's... He's come straight in and looked like he belongs at the level from almost minute one. He's been absolutely superb. Again, it's his quick feet, James, that do that makes it work because it, it, that's that was the attribute that made him stand out at the MPL level. It wasn't he wasn't really the biggest goal scorer. It was his quick feet and the ability to make things happen that that made him stand out. And we've really seen that come to the fore in the A League. And he's added goals to his game, which is what you really want if he's going to play in the front third. It's a great attribute to add. I think he's made a, had a massive impact. It's really. It's a success story, and it's also a validation of the way the Raw have gone about it, isn't it, in a way? Because they've certainly looked, and we'll talk about the women's team later on, they've looked to find players at the state level and bring them in. And Henry Hoare is absolutely a success story at that, and he's had a big impact, and I think he'll continue to have one. Because it, it seems like that, with Rio Wada here now, it seems like that starting spot's probably going to be his, but there's an impact role there for Henry Hoare off the bench more often than not, James, and at the moment, he's having a big impact whenever he's on the field, starting or sub. He's having an impact. And on that as well, Adam, he's uh, he's taken advantage of the opportunity presented to him because we know Alex Parsons has battled injuries all season and it sounds like he's not going to be available anytime soon. Lofthouse, uh, he's also uh, injured, I believe. And uh, it, that's going to be... So it's basically a case of, well, the other guys competing for that role aren't available. So he's a guy they've got to turn to and he's really rewarded... Uh, Warren Moon for showing a bit of faith in him. Absolutely, that's uh, and that's that's what it comes down to. You know, competition for spots breeds that. Uh, and like I said, if you try and try and compare, you know, you know Henry Hall's sort of trajectory as an A League player, you know, the two players that you mentioned uh, in Alex Parsons and Jez Lofthouse, they're probably the closest comparisons you have because you know, they're both contemporaries as far as similar age, similar you know experience at MPL level. Whereas your know, injuries seem to have crueled uh, both both those players' seasons. Uh, look, Henry Hoare is probably one of the success stories, you know, of the season. You know, I, I'm not I'm not sure if the uh, APL or A League is still doing you know the Rising Star Award or whatever it used to be, but uh, you gotta you gotta think that you know that there's a nomination there for for Henry Hoare. Like it's that's uh that's our six points of the Raw's 14 that, you know, pretty much on his, on his boot has, um, that the Raw have collected. And, and that's really all you can ask for, for a player in his position who is for all intents and purposes, learning to be a professional, even though he did play down in Victoria for a little while. Um, well, sorry, South Queensland. Anyway, 
what we've... What... It's at the Glory too, don't forget as well, and there you set up for a year. Yeah. yeah, but we can't really call them West Queensland, can we? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so that's, I would say, overall a pretty solid um, home game. And I, th- I think my final thought on this is, is just the fact that we have wondered if maybe they're like there's something going on in the players' heads when they're away from home. I think the fact that they were able to respond and score within three minutes after giving up the equaliser and being on the back foot as Wellington played their way into the game, that to me is the best possible sign in terms of being able to be a mentally tough team at home. Yeah, I de- definitely. I think, I think, yeah, like I said, despite despite the assertions to the contrary, I think that, yeah, no, it's, it's something about Morton Daly Stadium that this, this raw side are really resonating with. And, you know, every time, it's in, in most cases, I can only think of, you know, a couple of examples where they've, they've, they've somehow found a way. Um, this, this again, was, you know, you, you'd actually would have backed at some point when, when Wellington equalised, you almost would have backed Wellington to go on with it and say, oh, well, you know, the, the resistance is over and here, here they come, you know, eight, eight straight games they are lost. But uh, to respond three minutes later and go back in front, that, that is a mentally more than anything else. That, that's, a, that's a big step in the right direction. Fortress Redcliffe, James, perhaps. But if we're wrapping up our discussion about this game now, it was a game the Raw had to win. Did they have any chance of moving... Back into the race for the top six. They just had to win this game. Had to start on Saturday, and they got the job done. Yep, and that's, that's, the, mo- that's the most important thing. The performance we've spoken about is one thing. The result was the most important, and they got it. And that is all you can ask for uh, at the current point in time. As we're recording, the Western Sydney Wanderers are playing Adelaide United, and I don't know how long ago the game kicked off, but Adelaide just scored, so I can only assume it's in the final 10 minutes of that fixture then, given their propensity for that. However, that is a good... Uh... I thought it was Brisbane who liked the late goals. They've taken that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that is actually a good result for the Roar. It does move them off the foot of the A-League men's ladder. And, uh, well, it also means that if... You know, we'll talk about this more later on. If they can get a positive result against Perth, they could potentially leapfrog as many as three teams on the weekend. Which is That's how close this league is at the moment. Yeah, and a couple more good results, and all of a sudden you're really nipping on the heels of Sydney FC. So, cause for optimism with the men's team, cause for a rest with the women's team. Uh, three, two, ones first, or...? Thank you. Okay, cause for a whack on the back of the head for the host, as he forgot that. <laughs> uh, it is my week for the three, two, one for the A-League men. So, three points, Nick Olsen. I thought his energy was unmatched uh, during the match. Two points, Henry Hoare. Tenacious off the bench, uh, rewarded with the goal. And 1.4, Jordan Holmes, who I actually thought made some pretty big saves to keep the Raw, the Raw's lead intact in the first half and then keep them in the match as Wellington uh, really began to get on the front foot. Now, it's time for a rest for the Brisbane Raw A-League women's side as their season finally came to a close with the 3-3 draw against Canberra because, well, that's all they seem to be able to play against Canberra. Uh, but it was Meg McElliott's 90th minute equaliser that gave them uh, the point in their final match of the season. It really didn't make all that much of a difference because they were locked into uh, finishing in sixth place. But this is what Gareth McPherson had to say after the match. Gareth, a three-all draw. The side started really well. They came back into it. You got the point. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the overall, overall game? 
uh, it was exciting. It was exciting. Probably just a little bit disappointing to go two up and, and uh, some defensive errors and errors in possession. Maybe went away from our plan just a little bit. Uh, it's probably a disappointing way to concede the, the couple of goals. But the, so the third game in six days, that fatigue was always going to kick in at some point. Uh, I'm actually really proud of, of how long they went for until they started to, to to slow down a little bit and the cracks started to appear. When you get fatigued, the brain stops doing what it should be doing. And, and we actually came back into it at the end and got our own late goal, which was nice. You know, you're proud of the way the fact the players kept fighting on even after seeing the third goal to then go straight down the end and score. It's a great moment for Meg as well, get her first goal of the season and first goal for the Raw. It is. First goal for Meg. She's been training incredibly hard um, and it's just such nice reward for her. Um, and then I think the moment that she does score, she gets a point back for the team after they've probably got really disappointed after going 3-2 down to then go and get that goal for a team. So she'll be stoked and she should be. Not the way that you would have wanted the season to go, but looking back on it, you must be plenty of positives that you can take out of this season, looking ahead to, to what's to come as well. Absolutely. Lots of positives. We, I mean, we, we set probably a stretch goal at the start of the year around that kind of fringe finals, knowing that we were we were replacing such a large chunk of, of players and, and world-class players. So uh, sixth, and I think we were aiming for about 22 points, 23 points. So we fall shy of that. Uh, but for anyone that watches our games, they've had a bit of a roller coaster year. We, we've got better at managing games and seeing out games. But um, it's pleasing to see that what we're producing here in Queensland, both through the WMPL system and the, the QAS programs, um, those players are able to compete against anyone else. You mentioned Queensland. This is a largely Queensland-based squad. Are you looking to keep the squad together now for next season to really build on what you've accomplished at the back end of the season, looking ahead? Is this the group you kind of want to keep together? Uh, well, the, the, the vision of the club is strong and it's unwavering. So it's Queensland first and cohesion uh, in a team is one of the single most important factors to its success. So, uh, yeah, we, we will be looking to um, keep cohesion. and co- Cohesion is keeping the same group of people together. Um, so there, there, there will be some changes on the roster. Um, I'm sure there's going to be other Queenslanders perhaps wanting to come home. Uh, so that's the next next three, you know, three or four weeks will be spent doing that. We've already started, um, but yeah, you largely see a same core group of players back again. It's fine for me. Is that the best goal Ishi Norris scored? Oh, cracker on her left foot too. Ish scores them week after week in the WMPL. I'm so happy she backed herself to have a shot because often she's the unselfish distributor that will give the ball to someone else. So, yeah, that's what she's got in her. She can do that. Um, so more of that next season, I'm sure, from her. All right, that was McPherson out at the James Trisdale Reserve where you two were out there. And, Scott, we won't go into too much depth on this uh, fixture because, well, it was, for all intents and purposes, a dead rubber and a little bit of a party. But uh, any overarching thoughts? Well, firstly, I said last week I hadn't been out to James Drive, so I was looking forward to get there. It's a great little ground. It takes a, It's difficult to get there in peak hour up that way, but once you get there, it's a great little ground. The game itself was a goal fest. The Raw started off really strongly once again, got their goal. Once again, Clarissa Crummer has finished the year in absolutely fantastic form, and Katrina Gorey set her up once again. Michelle Heyman was, was really good in the second half for Canberra, had one or two opportunities, and she took them absolutely perfectly, and... A couple of great goals for the Raw after that from Aisha Nori and Meg McGillick, which you mentioned, got them a point. But it was a entertaining way to end the season, and I was 
I was glad it did end in a draw because at 3-2, I don't think the Raw deserved to lose the game by any stretch of the imagination. So at least they got something out of it in the end. But we'll talk about the season in a whole in a minute, James. But I still think there's there's a fair few positives to take from the season as a whole. For sure. Um, Adam, any quick thoughts on the game before we go into the season review? Yeah, look, I, I think yeah, it, it sort of came, came sort of clear that around about the 60, 60th minute that the Raw, who... Yeah, you know, they they pretty much played three games in uh, in six days. Uh, they they were really getting you know tired legged, and it just shows that you know what a predatory striker like a Michelle Heyman, uh, you give her opportunities and she's gonna take them. And look, and she's far from done as far as you know being a you know a, a prolific goal scorer in this league. And uh, look, it was actually. Good to uh, good to actually see her actually you know perform because I think she's sort of been in the forgotten uh, column. I think uh, that that might be more about uh, about Canberra's form this season. But uh, yeah, she really showed that you know that she's still you know a real threat um, on for for goals in this league. And that is over as probably the big thought on uh, Larissa Kramer as well is I thought she was you know admittedly a bit up and down um, as the season went along, but. She did finish on a really, really high note. So, you know, that that might be something that she can hopefully build on. And I'm assuming she'll be playing NPL football uh, this coming season. Uh, and, yeah, so what we will quickly uh, say as well, the Raw finished the season, five wins, two draws, seven defeats, uh, 29 goals scored, 30 goals conceded, 17 points total. And we'll go through the season. We've covered covered it quite a lot. Uh, in the past few months since it uh, kicked off. And, Scott, for me, it really comes down to the fact that the Raw, it was a case of so close, yet just that little bit too far away, with uh, late goals really costing them a chance to push for finals. Yeah, late goals was a was an unfortunate theme of the season, given they were up in round one against Perth Glory and conceded a couple of goals late. They conceded a late goal again to Perth in round two, had a, had a good lead over Canberra, when they played down there, that slipped by. Any of those results go their way, and they're back in the race potentially for the top four. So they weren't a, they weren't a million miles away, James. They played a lot of good football, but a slow start and the concession of late goals in games unfortunately cost them. But it's a bit similar to the first season in charge for Mel Andretta and Jake Goodship, but particularly Mel Andretta, where it was a bit of a rebuilding season. And I think this group, and we'll talk about the players in a minute, if they can keep this group together, James continuity I think will be key for them because they've made so many changes in the last few years I think that also hurt them having a, basically a whole new group once again if they can keep this group together now and maybe build on it there's, there's brighter times ahead but I think again it was the late goals which were the, the unfortunate decisive factor which means what meant they weren't playing semi-final football at the weekend Adam? Yeah look it's um, a rollercoaster of a season I think there was some you know, some Incredible highs like uh, their performance after they got absolutely thumped by Adelaide to come to go down to Melbourne and take City out pretty much cost them the premiership. I thought, you know, that 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 shows character that because uh, it's very very easy, especially when you're well out of the finals race. That you know, an eight two result you go, especially with a predominantly young team um, that you can sort of say, oh, well, this season's gone, you know, oh, we'll learn from this. But the fact that they turned it round um, in such a short time, I think it was a four or five day turnaround, I think that was impressive as well. But look, I think the story of the season is that they, if they get results, you know, three of the four, first four weeks, again, so two games against Perth and they hold on against Canberra 
And this table is a very, very different table, and they're probably playing finals football. So that's a real positive that Gareth McPherson can take out of it. That uh, that they really that they were close, but I think it's giving lessons to learn. I think I think you know when we're looking at in a years or two time, I think the adversity of this season may come back to sort of you know build character for a number of players if they stick around to you know to really sort of you know, go to that next level and you know really turn the raw into you know a team that will get not a chance for finals football but ultimately challenge for the title for sure um before we get into the uh individual squad breakdown we will do our final three two ones for the season uh as you know we've uh you may have seen on our social accounts uh the winner of the Brisbane Football Review, A-League Women's Player of the Year for season 21-22 was Adam. Uh, the winner... Well, it wasn't Adam, that's for sure. No, it wasn't me. I'm, I'm throwing <laughs> it to our official but... record keeper for... Uh, our official vote keeper, since uh, he did all the hard work for that. I was going to give him the honour of announcing it, but I can yep. do it myself. And, well, like I said, if you follow all our social media, uh, you would have actually seen that, uh, that Katrina Gorry was the... Uh, was the winner and won by an absolute landslide, as well. But that's uh that's sort of reflective of you know, how how um how you know dominant season she had. But uh, to go to to recap who the um the the points getters the top five. So Katrina Gorry you know, won it with sixty nine points. Mariel Hecker was second with forty seven. Shay Connors third in thirty one. And uh, then Anna McGrath. Aisha Nori uh, were equal fourth on 20 points, and Jesse Rashard uh, ran out the top five on 19. But uh, look, an incredible season for um, Katrina Gorey. I think we, we talk about, we'll, we'll get into obviously the review shortly as far as the season goes individually, but look, I think she was the, the key part of it. And um, and yeah, look, if I think definitely, you know, if there's any thoughts that, you know, whether motherhood, you know, may have affected her, her game. I actually think she's she's almost she's better than what she was when before she bowed out. And I think, that, and you know, I'd be stunned if uh, unless it's her choice, she that she's you know, as 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 far as you know, at least you know, being with the Matilda squad uh, next month, you know, in their their uh, friendlies against New Zealand in Townsville and Canberra. Well, take just quickly uh, before we go to you, Scott, uh, taking the um, motherhood angle out of it. I think she just really enjoyed being the senior player and leader in that squad because she's. Like, she really seemed to respond to, you know, helping some of the players out, uh, communicating well with them, and putting her years of experience to really good use. And certainly it was very clear that a number of the players were leaning on her experience out there on the field, and also in general, her experience that she has around the game is is unrivaled in that squad, and that was certainly a big asset. And I think, to Adam's point, she's absolutely fantastic this season, by far and away the Raw's best player, and Richly, richly deserves the award, so congratulations to Katrina, and hopefully we see her back at the Raw at some point in the future. Otherwise, I'm calling it for next year as well. Uh, if Gorry doesn't come back to the Raw next season, and assuming this squad stays largely the same, I think Mariel Heck is going to win it uh, by an even bigger margin, because like, as good as Gorry was, I think quite often Hecker was a very, very close second, uh, if not a better player for my uh, voting as the season went along. I'm actually going to go a bold prediction right now. So I'm going to say that Katrina Gorey will go very, very close to win the Julie Dollar medal. I think she was that dominant. Um, I know Raw finished sixth, but I think as an individual player, I think she was so influential. I think she was so dominant in those games uh, that she's played this season. I, I, 
I reckon she is a fair shout actually to to win it all. Which uh, tra- traditionally, the, you know, a team that finishes out the finals doesn't normally feature in the um, feature in the awards like that. But look, I'd be it'd be very very hard to make a case against her. Yeah, and you can't really argue against um, against that either because she's just been so consistent as well, coming off the bench to start the season um, as she worked her way back into match fitness, and then much sooner than I think anyone expected, even the Raw. She just decided, no, I'm going to be the best player on the pitch a lot of the time, and did you know? You know, in some cases, just carried the raw to uh, some of their victories. Now uh, we'll go quickly through a recap of the season. Maybe get our main storylines for the uh, squad as well. We had 12 debutants uh, out of the 22 players used. Now, Scott, that was the uh, raw debuts uh, you're yes, talking correct. about. You, because you did have, Correct. yeah, because you did have players like Meg McElligot, uh, who did have experience playing yep. for club debuts, yeah, yeah. But uh, my main, my main story for the playing group as well is, it really was the start of a new era for this Brisbane Raw uh, A League women's side because what we know they brought back, brought the band back last year um, under Jake Goodship for that one last run at the title and. I think I said this uh, when we did our season preview as well. It kind of had the feeling like this squad might have suffered a little bit uh, in terms of the level of recruitment they put in to that um, into that 2020-21 squad where, you know, maybe they went for a few more local players that the three of us were unbelievably familiar with because of the, you know, amount of time we spend watching the NPL and others who do watch Lions, Capalabar, Gold Coast, Souths, all those clubs that they recruited from. But if you're just pick, like if you just seeing the team sheet, there were quite a few names there that you would have gone, I've got no clue who that is. But I think what you've seen as well, that those connections that were already in place, the likes of you know Ishnori and uh, Rhi Katano from that 2020 Gold Coast uh, United winning side, uh, Premiership winning side, that combination in midfield working well. The you know, Lions duo of Hecker and Connors. I think they showed that this is a better side than it might have looked at the start of the season on paper. And, you know, it, it is a bit of an endorsement for the local competition. There is talent to be found there, Adam. Yeah, I think so. It was a bit of a slow burn. And, you know, I think we even, you know, around the time when they got they got, um, thumped by Adelaide 8-2, which I hate bringing it up. But that, to me, that's such an important milestone for the good and bad of it all because... We thought we sort of had our doubts at time, but look, I think that now I I know in my season predictions I I picked the Raw to finish seventh this year because based on the turnover this is a this is going to be a rebuilding project. Look, I can I can safely say looking back at it saying that you know I think this Raw women's side is a is a lot further forward than what I actually thought they would be when I was making those predictions at the time. I thought you know it'd be a, it'd be a tough season. You know there'd be things to learn, but look especially the last four games of the season. Um, look, despite despite who they played against, you know, the City win was obviously huge. Newcastle were sort of, uh, you know... You, they you, were hanging make, on, weren't they? You can make claims that, yeah, that, you know, were they really at their best, especially playing very short-handed, and even this Canberra draw. But there are certainly a lot of positives that, you know, that, you know when they debrief the season, you know, that you can actually say that, you know, this, this, this Raw team, if you keep the core of the side together, even, even if Katrina Gori doesn't return, I still think there's a lot of positives that you can, that you can make you know, going into next season and the season after because there is a 
now a darn lot of good talent. And if you if you recruit right now around the peripheries to, to now really you know fill those you know, those needs, look, this is a team that like I said that you know, finals football is not that far away from. Well, I got six points out of six away in Melbourne, James, which for Brisbane Raw historically is a absolutely revolutionary. Two great performances on the road against both Melbourne clubs as well. But to your point, those combinations that you mentioned, the the Norrie and the Katano in the middle of midfield combination, as well as the, the Lions trio with Clan and Clough as well down the left-hand side with, with Shea Connors and Mario Hecker combining as well. Those were really evident over the course of the season and things that you can really build upon. But the the combinations across the back line as well, James, that wasn't from players who played together previously. I thought got better and better as the season went on. And I know Adam mentioned that that dreadful day where they got beaten by Adelaide by eight goals to two. But after that, I thought defensively they did look really impressive in those last four games. I know they considered three goals against Canberra, but to me, there were reasons for that given there was three games in six days. So I thought defensively they got really, really, really improved. And that combination between Annabelle Haffenden and Jamila Rankin at the heart of defence, I'll, I'll be honest, I question the idea of is Jamila best position at left back or at centre back I thought left back at the start of the year but her transition into that role in the left side of centre back has been really impressive I think that combination was really really impressive again that's the sort of thing you can build upon James for next season is a two good young defenders like that you can almost build your back four around them and I think that's that's the sort of positives you're looking for yeah and that's uh, and that's exactly you know we that's what they it feels like they'd identified this season as a building season. You know, you bring in Gareth McPherson, you recruit, you know, the, some of the best local talent available. I don't think, I'm trying to think back to what we were saying in the season preview. There wasn't anyone that really leapt out as a harsh omission. Uh, I, at least off the top of my head as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's, you know, a good sign. And, by the sounds of it, a lot of those players are going to be back playing locally uh, this season as well. From what we've been told, some might not, some might move to different clubs just depending on where the opportunities lie and work and whatnot. But I don't think that's going to be the last you've seen of the bulk of this squad as well. The one player that I'm actually curious about as well is Meg McElligot, who I believe was actually the uh, Brisbane Football Review sponsored player through the Rural Core, Adam. She was, and we, we finally got to collect on it. It may have been the last minute of regular time in the season. But no, look, and just on just on Meg, um, look, very, very happy for her that she finally got on the score sheet. I, I can't believe a player of her pedigree, as far as goal-scoring pedigree, you know, it took so long to get that elusive, you know, A-League women's goal. But, um, look, you, you, timing is everything. And, um, I, look, she'll, she'll only get better from, from that. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's an amazing stat, yeah. That, but obviously, as well, you know, opportunities were were you know few and far between. Obviously, there was a very settled front three in uh, Mariel Hecker, uh, Shay Connors, and Lisa Crummer. So it was very hard to break in to that. But uh, look, yeah, you know, she she took her opportunity, and uh, look, happy for. And it'll be interesting to see. You know, um, I'm not sure it's been confirmed where she'll go as far as the MPL uh, women's in Queensland this year. I think we'll wait and see, but I, I, I certainly think that you know she's she's you know an a A League women's quality player, and I think I expect to see her back for the Raw next season. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, there is pretty much yeah, that's pretty much all I think we've really got to say. Do you guys have any more thoughts you want to add on for the uh, A League women's season? I know there's still Just finals to go, but yeah, it's yeah, not Brisbane. Just in general, with the Raw again. 
Larissa Crummer, we've got to mention her briefly. It was a bit of a slow burn for Larissa in terms of her start to the year probably wasn't the best, but there's, the positive is her, she finished the season out playing the full 14 games, James, and that, given her injury history that we've seen over the last few years, that's that's not insignificant. And her goal output, eight goals in 14 games, is not too bad either. So she will win the Raw A-League Women's Golden Boot with that, so congratulations. But the fact that she had to play all 14 games and got better and better as the season went on is a really encouraging sign. And, and I'm not sure if she's going to be able to force her way back into the Matildas or not, but the fact she got through a full season and looked better and better as the season went on, that's another really encouraging sign for her and the team, in, team as well. Definitely. And you, yeah, but... yeah. and you would hope that as uh, yeah, as she gets more match minutes into her through NPL uh, Queensland, that's going to be possibly um, yeah, a, a good sign as well. I, th- I think for me, my last thought before we go to you, Adam, is... You know, if they if they extended the season to a full home and away contest, I know there's been plenty of debate on that. There is every chance that the Raw could have really finished with a wet sail and snuck into the finals. Well, like I said, considering that you know, two of those teams, you know, are Wellington and Western Sydney Wanderers, that would have been in that that schedule that you know, they got to play a second time round. Now that that's probably six points there. So look, we'll see what happens. But look, my final thought as well. Um, that that, that mid, the midfield that they had, um, that I I thought you know it's it's such a good it's such a good midfield. And I think um, obviously yeah, it makes you wonder what would happen. Obviously you know Aisha Nori you know was was you know, she. Yeah, unstated hero. You know, as far as that, other than her, when she was out her knee injury, she she was brilliant. Obviously, Katrina Gorey, we just can't say enough. But I, I just wonder. You know, if Holly Palmer was you know fit all season long, uh, what sort of impact she would have made as well? Because she like the last four games, she she was you know exceptional as well. That that whole midfield, Nori Gorey Palmer was very very good, especially then feeding to Hecker, who was playing as a number ten such winger. Um, I think that's that's where you know also as well you can probably build a case for future seasons that you know if you keep the majority of that midfield together, um, they're gonna, they're going to do things going forward. So look, this year's a rebuilding season, but I think as I said before, they're a lot further along than I actually thought they would be when I, I we previewed the season. Absolutely, now you got to move on, James. But just quickly in the competition more broadly, we've got to give a shout out to Adelaide United who th- mm. thoroughly deserved their final spirit. Unfortunately, they went out at the weekend at home, but. It's been a long road for them to get to the finals. I think congratulations to them. They were, they were the best side I saw up here in, in Brisbane this year. But they, well, they, they were absolutely outstanding in that one particular game. But it was good to see them get in the finals for the first time. And I don't think any of us have any much interest in the semi-final and grand final after this, given the teams involved, do we? Well, Adelaide were the least objectionable team in the final series. So now they're gone. I really don't care. I, I did see when uh, Adelaide got eliminated, everyone... All the neutrals were joking. The, uh, the last likable team is gone. So uh, yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Anyway, we do have to move on because uh, if we are trying to keep this at or around about an hour, we need to talk about the return of NPL Queensland this weekend. We've got six fixtures on the cards as well. Easts are taking on Kapalabar. That is going to be at AJ Kelly Park, according to the fixture list, because uh, it sounds like Heath Park is still a way away from being usable. Um, Olympic taking on Brisbane City, Lions taking on Knights. Those games are all 7 o'clock Saturday. And uh, the Raw are taking on Logan on Sunday uh, evening out at Underwood Park, their new home ground for the season. Gold Coast United hosting Moreton Bay and Sunshine Coast Wanderers against Peninsula Power. So, 
we finally get a chance to see these NPL Queensland teams in action almost a month after uh, what they were originally supposed to be. Scott, which match have you got your eyes on? I think the one that most people have their eye on is the match at Lions Stadium between Lions SC and Gold Coast Knights. You've got the defending champion Lions against a team which a lot of people expect to have a massive bounce back here, the Gold Coast Knights. That's that, it's always a big matchup. It's almost disappointing it's going to be effectively the first game of the season because you would have liked those teams to have a couple of tune-up games before then in terms of competitive hitouts. But as a first-up game, it'll be a really good guide to see exactly where both those clubs are at. So that, to me, is the most interesting game. The other one, I think, in a more sentimental one, is Olympic at home at Goodwin Park. We know they had their issues with the floods recently. It's great to see them back there at Goodwin Park. And hopefully, you mentioned Easter away from home this weekend. Hopefully, they can get back sooner rather than later. But the big game, I think, for everyone is going to be Lions-Gold Coast, right? Yeah. that That's going to be the one because like Gold Coast, I don't think they're going to be uh, mid-table like they were last year. Um, and I should also mention, uh, you can listen to our NPL Queensland season preview uh, on our podcast feed as well, ably anchored by Scott and Adam, as I was a very, very, very late uh, withdrawal in the final stages of my wife's pregnancy where, well, I kind of had to at the uh, beck and call as it were but it was still a phenomenal show and some might even say better than last year's no oh, i don't know oh speaking speaking of last year like i said we, we I, I agree with scott that uh lions and gold coast knights is probably the pick of the games and if it is anywhere near what it was for the season opener last year at Lions stadium um Look, we're we're in for a you know, top game, and I, I think I think it is. I think uh, Lions, you know, look like they've rebuilt. They've they've somehow rebuilt to be almost as good as a side they are, you know, as a, as a defending champions. And look, Gold Coast Knights. Um, yeah, you gotta believe that they they're going to be a very very you know, tough outfit under Scott McDonald. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, obviously in the first competitive hit out to see where they, you know, where, where they sort of sit in the pecking order. Because I think. Again, I think this is going to be a very, very close close season. I think points against these top teams are going to be at an absolute premium. Yeah, without a doubt. And there's going to be uh, a lot coming up as well. I'm just also bringing up the FQPL1 uh, fixtures as well because that game that season is uh, one game old, as we remember with uh, Strikers going up and putting six past Magpies Crusaders. Coming up in FQPL1 this weekend... As my pre-recording snack just uh, comes back on me at the moment. Southwest Queensland hosting Western Pride. Caboolture at home to Southside Eagles. Magpies Crusaders at home to Sunshine Coast Wanderers. Ipswich taking on Mitchelton. Uh, Redlands hosting Rochdale. And Strikers, they have another weekend off. Sorry, which uh, which Sunshine Coast team was that? Sunshine Coast Fire. Yeah, wars have been start over, less. Well, th- well <laughs> when they're in different divisions... You should be able to work that one out themselves. When they're in the same division, I will differentiate. It's also why I can get away with saying uh, Western Pride and Ipswich. Because while they're both Ipswich clubs, they've got different names. As I just bump my laptop and make sure that's still recording. Yes, we are all good. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week when we're recording on Tuesday. Because there is quite a lot of action coming up at both at home and and abroad with the Socceroos putting their uh, final World Cup qualifying hopes on the line. But uh, turns out there wasn't. Well, an April Fool's Day joke from Melbourne City about five years ago has finally come true with Bruno Fornaroli all of a sudden eligible for the uh, Socceroos squad. And Scott, I don't know how I feel about this. How do you feel about it? 
Well, he's the last man standing, literally, and given, given he likes to roll around, there's a bit of irony in that, but he's the last man available given the, the Socceroos are going to be without a lot of different players for the front in the front there for these final games against Japan and Saudi Arabia. I think I think Riley McGree is unavailable, James. Um, Jamie McLaren's unavailable. Adam Taggart is injured. Matt Leckie is injured. So they're really short. And Nikki Rukovica is unable to enter the country at the moment. So they're really what, short. Why is that? Uh, let's call it Novak Djokovic reasons and move on quite hastily from that. But there's, there's, there's a real lack of options in the front third, potentially there for the Socceroos. So Bruno Fornaroli's got a tremendous experience in terms of his playing career. I think he's a really good striker. Obviously, it goes without saying his goal record is quite good still. We saw him a couple of weeks ago against the Raw for Perth. He's in decent form, so it seems like a really good opportunity for him to potentially get a cap. I, if it was five years ago, if it was 2018, prime Bruno Fornaroli, I'd be more excited then than I am now, but I can live with it now. The one I'm excited for is Nick D'Agostino. Actually, he sounds like he also is going to get a call up. And having seen his development from the MPL with the Raw Academy side on those freezing evenings down there at Cleveland Showgrounds through into the A-League side, now into the A- with the Raw, and now also with victory now as well. It's great to see him progress into the side. I'm sure he'll do a really good job. So it seems like they're short of options, James. That's the bottom, and the bottom, bottom line of it. They're short of options. Who else are you going to pick? Yeah, and for me, it... It basically comes down to, he's an Australian citizen now, he's eligible, where does he fall into the pecking order? The one the one thing that I think he can bring, even at his age, is just that guile that maybe some of these, some of these other strikers just haven't quite got uh, in the way that, um, you know, someone like a Mark Viduka might have as well. He can play the game, he can play, you know, the he can bring in the dark arts, and quite frankly... I don't care how, if you have to do an Italy Fabio Grosso 2006 uh, to get us to the World Cup, do it, Bruno. Do it. Just before Adam goes in, also, it's, we don't produce strikers in this country either. All the strikers that are in the A-League are pretty much import players, so that's why there's a dearth of options. But your point, he has got those dark arts, and I also would not be disappointed at all if he displayed some of those next week. I, I think it's a case of, you know what, pick players in form. Uh, Bruno Fonaroli and uh, Nick D'Agostino actually form that category. They're, they're in form at the moment. They'll, they'll do a job. Um, whether it's, it's enough to get the job done, look, we'll, we, we'll, we'll all find out together in, in, you know, in just over a week's time. But uh, look, I've got no, no problems with the selection. If, you, know, you always want to try and pick the best possible players available. And given the amount of um, forward, forward players that are unavailable for Socceroos at the moment, if you've got a guy like Fonaroli, who is eligible? Why not T- take a take a risk? You know what 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 have we got to lose? We're either gonna we're either gonna the gamble's gonna pay off, and somehow some way we're gonna get the straight ticket to Qatar, or hey, we're gonna go we're gonna play the playoffs anyway. And just what we got to lose. So I I applaud Graham Arnold for at least you know having a gamble and you know, having a go rather than you know going down the predictable path of you know what he's done in the past and you know go with the same result as we probably could have. And he has been willing to change that. We saw a lot of changes in the squad last time, but he's also been willing to go and find players who people might not have thought were eligible. Actually are. He's got Bruno Fornaroli now. He went and got Harry Sutar and Martin Boyle. So this is a, this is a path he's gone down previously to pretty good success, James. Hopefully Bruno Fornaroli can continue that. For sure. And we'll get into that uh, detail a little bit more, but 
just wanted to echo what you were saying, Scott, as well. A thoroughly deserved call-up for D'Agostino as well. It's really good to see uh, the trajectory his career has taken down at um, Melbourne, uh, South Queensland, B. Anyway. No, it's it's good. To, just just on on daggers, it's really good to see that you know. Look, you always like to you always like to see players that yeah you know, you've seen you've seen grow up in front of you, you know, And we saw him through the Raw Academy and through the Raw, and you know, and then also going to Perth um, to see to see him you know, actually get a um, to get a full senior cap. Uh, I think it's, it's such a it's such a great thing to see. It certainly hopefully he does get one. It certainly is. And we have just had a little bit of breaking news as well coming out. Um, We've been wondering, both publicly and privately, what's going on with uh, Football Queensland being the last uh, federation, or lone holdout federation, not to join the NPL TV uh, app, the NPL TV 2.0, powered by Clutch Radio. They've just launched launched Football Queensland TV Match Centre for the 2022 season. Uh, Yeah, I'm... Not going to read the uh, press release that is available on the FQ website via their social channels. Be it'll be on ours as well. Yes, shortly. Yes, and uh, we can go for it. Uh, go for it through there. Uh, it just basically looks like uh, that's going to be the home of football in Queensland for the coming season. All right, now I think we're going to have to uh, wrap this up with our preview of the Raw in Perth, Scott. Raw are heading out west for the first time in. Quite a while, I want to say, actually. I looked this up yesterday because I thought it was a long time. So they actually played round five last year in Perth. So they must have been able to snuck one, snuck a game in over there when the borders were open or something because they did get there last season. But another, I think, 9.45 kickoff over in the West, Queensland time. So a bit of a late one on Saturday night for people. But maybe you can go out and watch a local game at your local NPL club and then get home and watch the Raw on television. That might be a good way to do it. But it's... It's an interesting. It's an important game, isn't it? We mentioned earlier the Raw don't have a lot of room for error in terms of, in terms of ga- in terms of the uh, table and the points they need to get into the top six. The away form has been an issue, as Adam said earlier. This is a great opportunity against a Perth side who are struggling a little bit for form. It's fair to say, to potentially get over there and get get some points on the board. I think it's going to be a tougher game than that, but I think it's a great opportunity for them, and hopefully they can take what they did on Saturday against Wellington and take it on the plane to Perth. And if they can, I'm sure they'll come away with something. For sure. And I'm pretty, I'm fairly certain there's uh, still a little bit of uh, lingering hostility in Perth for that uh, correct penalty call that was awarded almost uh, nine, no, almost 10 years ago now, Adam. Yeah. So, um, yes. Uh, nine years ago almost, but... Uh, was it? No, yeah, it's... No, um, it is 10. It's 10 because it was 11 years 10. ago. Oh, of course. Yes, sorry. 11 uh, years ago, maybe... a few days ago when the Raw beat the Mariners, so... Oh, that's right. We did have the Orange Sunday 11, uh, 11 year anniversary. But uh, yeah, look, um, it'll be inter- it'll be interesting to see how this goes out. Obviously, Perth are going to be on the short turnaround, as I think they will be for most of the season, um, rem- remaining with our so so many games behind. And I think that might be the one hope the Raw may have. You know, but they've got they've got to get their away form, whatever. Whatever they're going to do, mentally, physically, whatever, they've just got to solve it. Like one point out of twenty four. Um, it's damning. It's damning. It really is blighting what is otherwise, you know, a decent, a decent season uh, for them. You know, at least their home form has been good. But uh, yeah, no, no wins out of eight. Uh, they really need to sort of turn it around. But I think their only hope is that somehow they need to come out with the same sort of intensity as they do at home, and you know, re-jump, you know, either you know, hold, hold Perth at bay, you know, the first half, 
or you know really come home late and capitalize on those sort of those tired legs that um that potentially Perth could have playing you know three games in a week. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. It is going to be the start of a busy patch for the Roar as well. They're at home on the uh, following Wednesday as well, which we'll uh, recap all on next Tuesday's edition of the Brisbane Football Review. And we're going to wrap it up right here. Thank you very much, Scott. Good talk to you again once again, James. Get back to the, the diaper changing. Yes, I'll have to uh, get back onto that. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, boys. Uh, always a pleasure. And yes, we can actually say this properly for the first time uh, coming up now. Get out to a local ground uh, this uh, weekend. Watch some local football. We know for sure that a lot of the clubs that are hosting games will be uh, doing their own form of uh, flood relief and might just be helping out a uh, team in need as well. Uh, again, as much as I would love to say, you know, what, stay home and watch all the streams, this is the uh, time to make sure that you get out and uh, support the clubs in the most direct way possible. In the meantime, that's going to be it for the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back next Tuesday on Clutch Radio, and uh, we'll talk to you then.